Pastor Brad has told me about uh, a work camp in Guatemala. I pray that you'd be with all those people in the church family here who are down sharing in ministry with another culture. I pray, Father, that you would be in their service in a very special, special kind of a way. Let some real miracles happen here this morning. I pray that the power and the anointing of your spirit would rest upon Pastor Brad and we might hear from you. I want to pray for our nation this morning too, Lord. Pray that you be with our government and all aspects of our government. How we need you more than we ever have before. Bless our fellowship now together in this place. We'll never meet like this again. And that's what makes this unique. We thank you for that. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dad. Brian, can I have you get me a glass of water, please? Appreciate it. I think we're good. I want to just put a after-the-fact plug in for what took place here on Friday night, the King's Daughters Banquet. What a good time we had Friday night. We had probably about 150 fathers and King's Daughters here that attended, and I don't know how many, but close to 40 or plus, thank you, Brian, workers that served just worked hard helping to put on just a top-notch event. And I, I want to thank you. If you are one of those that served, helped make that happen. As a dad with a couple of daughters that were just impacted by that night, thank you very, very much. One little story. During that evening, I mean, this room was decked out, the tables and the decor was just you know, five-star. And I was sitting at the dinner table over here, and one of the king's daughters just dressed to the nines. I think that's the way they say that, right? Dressed to the nines. But anyway, just looked beautiful. Came walking over, stood beside me, got my attention, and almost inaudible. I had to put my ear right down to her lips to try to understand what she was saying. But she just kind of summed up the night for her. She said, can you please make it more beautiful like this on Sunday mornings? <laughs> it was just adorable. It was adorable. If you pick up your worship folder, there should be inserted in there two note pages. I told you last week that I would produce a, a note page for what we covered last week and a one for what we are going to cover this week. I made good on that uh, promise. So just as a review, on the top of the one that is just a one-sided printed sheet, it says, Discovering My Spiritual Gift, Class 301, Session 1. What this is, this series that I'm calling Divine Design, it is the third class in a series of classes that we, like everyone that makes this their church home, 
to attend in sequence. Uh, we have a 101 class that's a connecting a cornerstone class, a 201 class that is a class about uh, the habits that lead to spiritual growth, and then 301 Divine Design is a class that is related to helping, well, let me just read you the goal. The goal of this series or the class is to equip you to serve Christ by helping you discover your spiritual gifts, to develop them faithfully, and to deliver them consistently within Christ's church. So last week what we covered was just kind of the first segment of that mini-series, and the title was Discovering My Spiritual Gift. I filled in the note pages there, note lines there for you. Basically what we talked about from Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 is how you can discover what your spiritual gift is. There's not some fancy formula that the Word of God gives to us, but Paul makes a promise in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And he says this, that if you will surrender yourself fully to God, verse 1, and verse 2, that you will be in the process of being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's talking about spiritual growth through obeying God's Word. That if you'll surrender your life and be committed to the process of spiritual growth as you obey the Word of God, then the promise at the end of verse 2 is that you'll be able to test and determine or discern what the will of God is for you. Specifically, the context that follows is what the will of God is for you related to spiritual gifts. So a surrendered life and a life of spiritual growth is Paul's answer for how you can discover what your spiritual gift or gifts are. That as you live surrendered and in consistent, regular application of the Word of God, here's what I know will happen. If you're living in obedience, a surrendered life to the Lord in obedience to this Word, you're going to be serving people. It's all over in this Word. And as you serve people, what will happen is what you do will minister to them in some significant way. And you'll get some feedback. You'll get some acknowledgement that when you did this or when you shared that verse or when you extended that hand of mercy or when you gave that financial gift, that God really used that to help me grow, to help build me up. And that'll be a validation, the beginning of your discovery of what your spiritual gift is. What we're going to do today now is we're going to go to kind of the second main heading. We're going to talk about developing my spiritual gift. So you can follow along in this note page, fill in both sides of this as we move along. Let me begin by reading this verse out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. It'll be kind of an overall key idea related to developing your spiritual gift. Paul wrote to Timothy, 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. First of all, let me just point out a few things related to that verse. I want you to notice, first of all, that God's the initiator here. God is the one that gives the gift, initiates the giving of the gift. Second thing I want you to notice is that the God who gives expects something. That gift comes with a divine expectation. The giver of every good gift expects you to be a good receiver of His gift. As He works with you and works that gift in you, what He wants you to do is work that gift out of you through your life to the people who are around you. And then just go with the illustration the connection of the spiritual gift illustrated with a flame. I think it's very instructive that Paul uses that specific terminology. What is the purpose of a flame? A flame doesn't serve itself, it serves others. It warms or it cooks or it purifies. And then Secondly, by nature, how does a flame burn? It burns by consuming. It spreads. It spreads across, if it can, the fuel that it is consuming. It engulfs. It encompasses. It becomes more noticeable as more and more of the fuel gets burned up. Now take those two ideas and relate them to spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gift is not to serve yourself. It is to serve others like a flame. And what that flame, what that fire is to do in your life, is it is to begin to travel through your life. As you're given a spiritual gift, it does not just want to stay dormant. A flame does not want to do that. It wants to travel. It wants to spread. It wants to encompass. It wants to engulf more and more of your life. It wants to become more noticeable so that it really saturates your entire life. I believe that is God's intent for the spiritual gifts that He gives us. He wants us to maximize the gift that He invests in us. He wants the warmth to become the heat, the heat to become the flame, the flame to become the fire, the fire to become the blaze. So fanning into flame the gift of God really is talking about developing our spiritual gift. The fanning into flame is the development, the use and ongoing development of that gift. Now there's a principle 
in one way or another, we talk about this on a regular basis, that right thinking leads to right acting or right living. You need to think right so that you can live right. You need to think right about something specific so you can act right with whatever that specific issue is. So what I want to do as we begin in the first half of the message here is I want to work on some right thinking about spiritual gifts so that it will lead to and open the door for some right acting related to spiritual gifts. So for a few minutes, picking up where we left off in Romans chapter 12, we covered basically verses 1 and 2 last week. I want to go verses 3 down through verse 10 and give you four basic categories of right thinking related to spiritual gifts that will help lead to right acting. And the first one is found or can be drawn out of Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Here's what Paul wrote. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is talking here about us viewing ourselves and viewing our gift. He's really talking about how you view something is your perspective on that. So he's talking here about our perspective. So my question here is what is the right perspective related to spiritual gifts or to your spiritual gift? Well, first of all, it's a gift. And it says right there in verse 3 that that gift works through the measure of faith or in accordance to the measure of faith. Faith in what? Faith in you? No, faith in God. Faith in the power of God to work through the use of that gift. But then number three, finally, the right perspective is related to who God gave the gift to, and that's you. So let me put those three together. Here's the right perspective. God gave the gift. God gave it. God accomplishes it. But God uses you to get it done. Don't Cut out that third component. God uses you to get it done. Why did he choose to set it up that way? I have no idea. And I'm talking about me here. But the scripture is very clear. He gifts us so that he can work through us. So the right perspective related to spiritual gifts is one of responsibility. There's your first fill-in responsibility. You may want to write humble responsibility, recognizing that it's a gift and it's God that ultimately does it, but you have a responsibility to play in that. Since God went to such extensive lengths to forgive you so that He could live in you, so that He could work through you, your responsibility is to join in partnership 
with what God has determined to do through your life. What a motive that should be right there for using your spiritual gift. It's a partnership that you're participating in with the God of the universe. But the right perspective is about owning the responsibility that you have related to the gift, the spiritual gift that you've been given. Second idea here about right thinking is I want to talk to you for a minute about attitudes related to spiritual gifts. I believe that's what Paul talks about in verses 4 and 5. Look at it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Let me just make a statement here to identify an obvious truth that's all through those two verses that we just read. Your gift, your spiritual gift, only does what it's designed to do through its connection to the body. Do you see that in those two verses? It's the illustration of your physical body that has many members. Members that don't belong unto themselves, they belong to one another and are connected to one another so that they can be effective in helping the body to function. It is only in the connection that they work. Let me illustrate that by just reading this short paragraph that I wrote just to highlight this truth. Your body has a foot. And that foot only works when it's locked into your ankle that's connected to your lower leg, which is joined to the knee that supports the upper leg which provides mobility in conjunction with your hips that form a base upon which your back and your chest stand, to which your shoulders are fashioned, from which your arms and hands hang, and upon which your neck sits, the perching place of your head, so that from this high vantage point, your eyes can see and your mind can direct the fluid movements of the body down through the neck, shoulders, torsos, hips, legs, ankles, all the way down to the feet where the rubber meets the road. What is necessary in every one of those members, it is the connection that it has to what's around it. It is the connection. So what is the right attitude? If we're going to think right in our attitude about spiritual gifts, the right attitude is one of unity. That's the connection. It's one of unity. Listen, lock this, my, this truth into your mind. The larger body, the church, owns your spiritual gift. You don't own it. The title to your spiritual gift ultimately is held by the larger body because you're just one of the members and you belong individually as a member to the rest of the body. 
the gift that you have was given by God for the body. And when you don't use that gift, you rob the body of what God intended the body to have through the gift that God gave to you. So the ownership of that gift, that spiritual gift of yours, the title for that, we could say, really is held by the larger body. We are a unit that only works in unity. Let me ask you a question for illustration. You have $100,000. You go deposit that $100,000 in the bank. A few months later, you need to use that $100,000, and you go to the bank, and the banker says, I'm sorry, but you're only allowed to use 30% of what you deposit in this bank. Anybody banking there anymore? You know, that's a higher percentage statistically than the percentage of those followers of Christ in the church who have a gift and use it. And the gift is for the body, to be owned by the body. So the right attitude is a work in unity together. Brings us to the third thing that I believe Paul identifies as far as right thinking about spiritual growth and spiritual gifts, and it's about action, verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Folks, do you know what Paul is doing right here? He is shouting with his pen. He is shouting with his pen saying, use your gift, use your gift. Use your gift. I did it three times. In those three verses, Paul did it seven times in those three verses. He's trying to make the point that the gift is given to be used. So what's the right action when it comes to spiritual gifts the right action is this. It is consistency. You need to consistently be using your gifts in the body of Christ. That's the way God designed it to work. Finally, motive. What is right thinking related to spiritual gifts concerning motive? Meaning, what should grip, what should compel, what should impassion our hearts related to thinking about using our gifts. I believe Paul answers that in verses 9 and 10 of Romans 12. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Listen to this. 
outdo one another in showing honor. Paul says the way that it's supposed to work in the church is that you're supposed to be trying to outdo one another in your serving of one another. Try to outdo one another in honoring and in serving and in ministering to one another. So the motive here is charity. You might want to write love. I'm trying to kind of stick with the same format of wording here, but charity means the same thing that our love for the God who gave us the gift should motivate us to use it. But listen, not just that. Not just our love for the Lord who gave us the gift. How about this? How about our love for the people whom God wants to love through us as we use the gift. That's what God wants to do through the use of your gift. He wants to love other people through you in the engagement and use of that gift. So the right motive is one of charity. Now what I want to do for the second half of the message there are a lot of questions about spiritual gifts. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to cover every question this week and the next probably two weeks. But I'm, what I want to do this morning is I want to ask and answer five foundational questions related to spiritual gifts. Five very critical foundational questions questions that I believe have to be answered for us to get a right understanding so that there can be a right use. So let's just look at them. The first three are all answered in one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One verse answers three critical questions. The who, the what, and the why. Here's the who. Who has a spiritual gift? Who has a spiritual gift? The very simple, plain, undeniable answer here, when he says, to each is given, Paul is writing to the followers of Christ at Corinth. And he says, to each one of you is given a gift. So who has a spiritual gift? Every follower of Christ. Every follower of Christ. God is not like Santa Claus. God doesn't operate on the naughty and the nice list, right? In fact, really, we are all on the naughty list. Does everybody agree with that? We're all on the naughty list. But God has decided to be nice to every one of his children. He doesn't come to some and say, lump of coal for him, lump of coal for her. What he says to every single child of his is spiritual gift for him, spiritual gift for her. Every single time. Folks, here's why. 
It doesn't have anything to do with us. It doesn't have anything to do with our deserving of it. It doesn't have anything to do with our meriting it. It's not a reward for a job well done. It's a gift, an unmerited, undeserved gift of grace. You see, it has everything to do with God, not us. That's why God gives it to every one of His children. So, first question, who has a spiritual gift? The biblical truth is that every follower of Christ has a spiritual gift. Here's the second question. What is a spiritual gift? Defined this last week, in fact, on your first note page there. There's a working definition, but I want to get a little more specific than that from the verbiage of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We can so easily run right by this and miss such an incredibly profound truth. Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. I'm going to give you this answer in two parts. Here's the first part. What is a spiritual gift? Part A, it's the Spirit of God. The gift is the Spirit. The gift is not something that the Spirit has and gives you separate from Himself. The gift is the very Spirit of God. Here's the way it works. Try to follow closely with this. That the Spirit of God, when you are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're saved and you're placed in Christ, you are given the Spirit of God who actually comes and takes up dwelling in your life. Let me say that again. The Spirit of the living God comes and makes His home in you. He doesn't visit. He doesn't take a peek in to see if everything's cleaned up. He comes and moves in and makes your life His address. And then what He does, what He is tireless and relentless about doing is to work in your life. And here is how he does that. He takes the truth of the Word of God and he begins to work it into your life and begins to shape you and mold you by the truth so that what happens is your life begins to take on more and more of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as you are growing spiritually, you begin to think more like Jesus thought. You begin to look at the world more from the perspective of Jesus' eyes. You begin to look at people more like Jesus looked at them. Your speech becomes more like His. Your actions become more like His. Your compassion becomes more like His. It is the 
work of the Spirit of God to take the truth of God, the Word of God, to make you like the Son of God for the glory of God. You're going to hear that over and over and over again in the life of this church because it's the story of the Christian life. And so what happens now, watch the connection, what happens is, is that the Spirit is living in you as a follower of Christ, and what the Spirit is doing in the gifting, in the spiritual gift, is that He is displaying the excellencies, the character of Jesus through your life in the use, in the manifestation of the gift. It is a gleam. It is a, a ray of Christ's light that shines out of your life as you use your gift, which is the Spirit of God shining through you to show one aspect of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a revelation to the people around you of who Jesus is and what his character was and what his qualities were. So the manifestation of the Spirit is part A, the Spirit of God. Here's the part B of the answer. Peter gives it to us in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see what Peter does there? He directly parallels or connects the gift with God's grace. He says the gift is the varied expression of the grace of God. Don't check out yet. It's going to get, I mean, I believe if you've got a spiritual pulse, this is going to be powerful for you. It is for me. The grace of God, the gift is the manifestation, the shining forth, the going out of the grace of God on this planet through you. What on this planet is more powerful than the grace of God? What else is like the grace of God? Listen to a few statements that I wrote down this morning thinking about this. Nothing throughout all history has been able to defeat the grace of God, stop the grace of God, impede the grace of God, or decrease the grace of God. Nothing in all history. No enemy in the universe is its victor, nor even its equal. 
the grace of God cannot be thwarted, cannot be hemmed in, cannot be contained, and cannot be confined. The grace of God, it always breaks in on the enemy. It always breaks out for those who are in bondage. It always breaks through to those who are hardened in their hearts. God's grace rises up. It runs deep and it flows over. There is nothing in the universe like the grace of God. What is a spiritual gift? It is the spirit of God unleashing the grace of God through you to the world around you. It is the Spirit of God who has set up residence in your life that is stepping in through your life to this world using the most powerful thing in the universe, the grace of God, and unleashing it through your life so that it goes out from you and changes your world, goes to the hopeless and brings hope, goes to those in bondage and brings freedom, goes to those who are dead and brings life. It's the grace of God and the Spirit of God. That's what a spiritual gift is. And if you have a spiritual gift, those two things are operating in your life and you have the privilege to be a part of the work of God in unleashing God's grace backed by the power of His Spirit into this world in desperate need of that very thing. Question number three. Why are spiritual gifts given? Why are they given? 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says they're given for the common good. Given for the common good. Let me join that with Ephesians 4.16 and then I'll give you the statement. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, from whom, referring to Christ, the whole body, meaning the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why are spiritual gifts given? Compare those two verses together and here's what you get. To build up the body, to build up Christ's body, the church, by serving one another. To build up Christ's church by serving one another. You see, the purpose of the gift is the common good. Not your good as the one using the gift, but for the common good. You are given a spiritual gift so that you can use that gift to serve Christ's church whom he bought and paid for with his own blood. 
filled and empowered by his own spirit, entrusted with his own grace. That's who you get to serve. And by serving the church, you're serving Christ. Spiritual gift then, if the common good is the purpose, spiritual gift is never to elevate self. If you see someone using a spiritual gift to elevate themselves, they are in misuse of their gift. It's never for personal notoriety. It's not to show how God favors one person above the other. Please do not think that the spiritual gifts are the display of the favor of God. They're unmerited. They're a gift of grace. And spiritual gifts are not a testimony for spiritual maturity. Let me illustrate that with the church at Corinth. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, that the church at Corinth was a very gifted church. In fact, it says that that church at Corinth did not lack one single spiritual gift. That that church body as a whole, in its composite life, had every single spiritual gift. So would it be right to assume then that the church at Corinth was an incredibly spiritually mature church? Let's listen to a few cameos that Paul gives as he paints a picture with his pen about the spiritual maturity level of the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, they were fighting over who was greater. That sound like they were spiritually mature? How about Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, they were proud of the son who was sleeping with his father's wife. How's that for spiritual maturity? Chapter 11, 18 and 21, they were selfishly gorging themselves at communion and getting drunk. Anybody want to be a part of that church? Here's a bright spot in that. Folks, God doesn't give up on His church. And what He did in the Corinthian church is that He gifted them greatly so that through the exercise of those gifts, the Spirit of God could work in power, disseminating the grace of God that would bring growth to the people of God and raise them up in spiritual maturity. That's the way it works. Question number four. How are spiritual gifts distributed? Another way that we could ask that question is, who determines what gifts go to who? Now here is the question that if any question we could 
get frustrated with the answer in our humanity, this is probably the question that most could get frustrated with. Because we want to determine what gifts we get. We got the gifts in our mind that we want to have. We put a value statement on them and we try to secure or think that we should have certain gifts and not others that are not so high on our list. But how are they distributed? 1 Corinthians 12, 11, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. As He wills. How are spiritual gifts distributed? According to God's will. That's how they're distributed. It's God that's got the plan. It's God that sees the big picture. It's God that knows you and me and knows which gift He can give you or gifts He can give you without tripping you up. Gifts that will become a stumbling block to you, He knows better than to give you that gift in His infinite wisdom. Gifts are distributed not as we desire or will, but as He wills. Now let me give you one qualifier, and it's question number five. What are the higher or the greater gifts? Verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, listen to what Paul says writes as he closes out this chapter. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Paul not only gave us permission, but I think he is admonishing, he is encouraging, he is instructing us to desire the higher gifts question is, what are they? What are they? I think what we can do with integrity to the text and the context, we can give a very accurate general answer to that question, what the higher gifts are. Here's what's taking place in this chapter in this church as Paul is writing this chapter. They were squabbling among themselves related to spiritual gifts. They were holding up some gifts as being really the greatest gifts and really a statement of spiritual superiority in the individual that had it and those that didn't were second rate. Which, again, is a total misuse of the gifts right there. Because the gifts are for the common good, not for the individual to whom the gift is given. 
The gifts are for the common good. So the context then, uh, this is is where my deep conviction lies. The context seems to clearly communicate that the higher or the greater gifts are the gifts that bring the greatest benefit to the common good. Now just think about that for a minute. That's pretty easy to see. Well, yeah, there are some gifts that have greater influence in their impact on the common good. Not that they're more important, and certainly not, it's a gift, certainly not that the person with those gifts are are any greater. It's a gift. It's grace. But there are gifts that have greater impact to the church body at large. For example, and I'll just paint, uh, you know, opportunity for a target here, but I believe this with all of my heart, that one of the higher or the greater gifts that has the greater impact to the common good is the gift of preaching. Because what it does is that it speaks to the entire body and used properly, it is the Word of God going out to help the entire body grow. Or, said another way, it is a gift that helps all of the other gifted people get equipped to use their gift. The preaching of the Word is one of the key ways that the equipping of the saints takes place, meaning the calling of God and the raising up of people to use their gifts. So gifts that help a lot of the other gifts come into play are having great impact For the common good. So the gift of preaching could be one of the gifts I clearly believe. Even in uh, Ephesians and Paul is given a, talking about both, I believe, gifts and offices. But uh, some he made apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And he uses some numbers in there. First this, second this that would seem to indicate an order of influence. I mean, think about Paul's gift of apostleship. How impactive was that gift to the body of Christ? Oh, my. Thirteen letters of the New Testament came from his pen. That was gifting. That was gifting. Had and has today and will until the end of time Incredible impact. Now I'm going to bring this. I'm going to bring this home with the challenge here. Related to the gift, using this as an illustration, related to the gift of preaching. That is one of the higher, greater gifts. And Paul says, eagerly desire. The higher gifts. 
put those two things together, it tells me that it's okay for you to desire that gift. In fact, I think it honors God if you desire that gift. I think it is the instruction of Scripture. Now let me make that personal, not to the church at large, but to Cornerstone Church. 1996, July, I was the interim pastor here. Had been the youth pastor for six years. I was serving my second term as interim pastor, and my, my tenure was drawing to a close. I was gone. I every intention of being gone, wanted to be gone. coming off of a very difficult time under the previous leadership and a church of 60 people in this size of a building. I mean every breathing soul on a Sunday, 60 people. It was an echo chamber in here. And I'm praying for this church, just praying for God to bring the man in that he wanted in here, the pastor in that he wanted here. And one of the few times in my life I felt like the Lord said something very clear to me other than this. This is very clear to me. I don't mean I know it all, but he speaks clearly in his word. But I believe he shared with me related to this church that his plan for this church was that he was going to call many people to full-time Christian service out of this church. That he was going to call preachers and teachers and missionaries to give their life full-time to serving him out of, again, a little bitty church with a great big building that couldn't even pay its bills. That he was going to do that through this church. That vision has burned in my heart for 15 years. And it hasn't burned down. It's burned up. It's burned up. I, I believe God gives the vision, and then God works on the visionary, and then God begins to accomplish the vision. I believe what's been happening over the last 15 years is God's been working on the visionary. But I do believe we're on the cusp of God beginning to bring that vision out into the public eye. A few different times over the years, shocking, honestly, to me, church, a few different times over the years I've, I've preached a sermon where the entire sermon was about hearing the call of God, full-time Christian ministry to be a preacher of the word. And ask people at the end of that if they believe God was calling them to that full-time ministry, would they stand up? I remember the first time I did that, 
I lost what I was doing. 20% of the people in the room stood up. I had them all sit back down, said, you misunderstood what I said. Let me go through that again and explain that a little better. Same thing, 20% stood up. I believe it is the heart of God for this church. And I believe when the timing of the vision is right and the vision is shared, the Spirit of God is going to breathe onto that vision. And it's going to begin tapping people on the shoulder and saying, you're right, you're right, you're right. And that one of our great privileges in ministry is going to be to work with those that have received the call to get them ready to send them out and unleash them as those who are housing the Spirit of God and unleashing the grace of God to go pursue their calling from the Lord. I believe that's going to happen in the next couple of decades here. I believe that's going to far outlast even my ministry. I mean, I don't know. I'm a, I might be gone tomorrow. I don't know. But I believe it's a long-term vision for this church. And I'm absolutely convinced that I'm looking at some faces that in five years, 10 years, 20 years, you're going to be doing what I'm doing. Or you're going to be on the mission field somewhere and giving your life for Christ, communicating His truth in another culture. I said, man, that's, I don't want anything to do with that. That scares me to death. My word, if you knew my story, you, you wouldn't believe it if I, if I told you. It was the most introverted I'm convinced probably the most introverted person any of you have ever met when I got the call. Just take me out to the firing squad. I'd rather face it and die than get up in front of two people and open my mouth. I'm not kidding. I was married to my wife and would not sing next to her sitting in church because I didn't want her to hear my voice. God just does what God wants to do. He distributes the gifts according to His will for His glory. So if I can do this, anybody in this room can do this. But really, it's the Spirit of God that does it. Don't be afraid of your gift. Take it responsibly. Seek God. Look to discover what it is and then consistently use it. You will find a fulfillment come into your life that you will find in no other way. I don't mean nothing else fulfills, but there will be a level of fulfillment, a meeting of a void in your heart where you are doing what God designed you to do. But I'd like you to do this next week. 
is I'd just like you to continue to be in prayer. If you don't know what your gift is yet, make sure you go over that first note sheet. You surrender your life and you begin consistently growing spiritually through the Word of God and start serving and God will reveal what your gift is. And then those of you that do know, start, if you've got it locked down, put away in a chest somewhere, unused, stop it. Stop it. It's not your gift. It's owned by the body of Christ. You're supposed to be using it. And you're responsible to do so. I'm not condemning anybody here. I want you to find the joy that comes with doing that. Let me pray for you. Would you stand, please? Worship team, come and lead us in a closing song. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I, I want to thank you that you sent your son to die to provide the way to satisfy your justice and provide the cleansing forgiveness for sin. I want to thank you that you send your Holy Spirit to come and pursue us and work in us to draw us to Christ and to complete that salvation transaction by applying the work of Christ to our life when we accept Christ in faith. I want to thank you that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and to manifest through us the very grace of God. Thank you for the gifts that you give to all of your children. The good gifts. Help us to be good receivers. Faithful, consistent users of those gifts. All for your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.